Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Don, and this episode will be another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my ultra-fancy name for a podcast episode I record solo where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in years, take some notes on what I might remember about it, and then go watch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day. Since, you know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change or we pick up on things that we didn't notice before. All that kind of stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I normally run my podcast in a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest where we go in-depth on something and then one of these short review episodes to give myself a little bit of a break. So if this kind of episode isn't to your liking, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast goes. I know technically this episode should be a longer one, but I'm shuffling things around so that I can do a longer episode for the Halloween season next month. If all goes well, it should be a fun one, so hopefully that will make up for the shorter episode this time. And now, with all of that out of the way, let's get on with this month's topic. It's currently September right now, which means technically summer is officially over. But if you're in North America right now like I am, it doesn't really feel like fall yet. So I felt like watching something that still kind of had a summery vibe just to get it out of my system. And I remembered vaguely that an old Pioneer OVA released back in the 90s that I'd been meaning to revisit had a lot of summery elements in it actually. A water park, swimsuits, a summer festival, yukata, and aliens, transforming heroines, and even live-action sequences? That's right, today I'm digging back up an old OVA that doesn't seem to be remembered by a whole lot of people, and that's Hyperdoll. Hyperdoll is another pioneer title put out in the 90s here in the U.S., presumably from what I assume, is to bulk up its catalog because, one, it was very short at only two episodes, and two, as it was the mid-90s, early Sailor Moon fandom was starting to pick up in the U.S. thanks to the Deke dub, and maybe they figured that would help make this one appealing to some fans? There's two cute girls from another planet that transform and save the world. That's pretty similar, right? Well... Maybe it was just me who made that connection, as I saw this title in an old Pioneer anime advertisement and was immediately intrigued back then. I can't remember if I actually ordered this on VHS or if I was lucky enough to find it for rent around me eventually, but I do remember seeing it and being mm, somewhat impressed with it. I thought the girls' looks were cute. The animation was fairly well done, and the story being at least interesting enough to hold my attention for an afternoon, which is, I guess, something that you'd want out of a two-episode OVA. And as I mentioned earlier, I was surprised that each of these episodes also included a live-action segment from the main character's voice actresses at the end. I remember them being pretty weird and wacky, though nothing super specific besides that. But other than that, I can't really remember any of the finer points of Hyperdoll because it's probably been at least 20 years since I last saw it, and 
the OVA has fallen into relative obscurity. So, I guess what better time to revisit this pioneer anime relic and see if I can still make a fun afternoon out of it? Let's say goodbye to summer with Hyperdoll in this month's rewatch. They willingly risk their lives for justice. Risk our what? Our lives. Reincarnated within immortal bodies. Well, that's nothing new. Crushing evil demons of the underworld. Well, if we feel like it. If the dolls don't do it, who will? And what's holding you back? <clears throat> well, it's not my job. Oh, buzz off. confusing if you just watch it as is with absolutely no background. The story starts out with the main characters already having met each other and doesn't really do that great of a job giving us any sort of backstory. In fact, the back of the box and the opening theme narrator gives you more of a backstory on Hyperdoll than the actual anime itself, which goes a little something like this. Mew and Micah are alien androids who have been sent to Earth by a Space Federation commander to protect its citizens from weird, tokusatsu-style monsters that are controlled by one Dr. Zyklet and his mysterious evil organization. But they're not that great at it, as they'd much rather eat, shop, argue with each other, and just be lazy rather than turn into the defenders of justice that the Hyperdolls are supposed to be. Painfully normal high schooler Akai accidentally finds out about their secret identity and is basically bullied into not only helping them appear to be normal everyday schoolgirls by posing as their friend, but he more often than not has to practically beg them to transform and help the city and or himself when they act like they can't be bothered to. Which seems to be pretty much every single time. Add to the mix that they also somehow have a friend in classmate Shoko, who seems way too nice to have any interest in hanging out with them, other than the fact that she seems to kind of like Akai 
and also seems very suspicious about Mew and Micah, and wants to figure out what their whole deal is. And with that, I have already given you way more backstory than the anime ever gave the audience outright. A lot of this, the anime seems to think, you will glean by yourself by an extremely rushed and not very well explained flashback in the first episode, and doesn't really ever touch base with it ever again to make sure its viewers aren't totally lost. Instead, we have what feels like a story where it constantly feels incomplete. I know we often think of older OVAs as glorified advertisements to just quote, read the manga, but watching this one really does feel like if you've never read the manga, you're only getting maybe half of the story. Back when I first watched this in the 90s, however, that was kind of to be expected. It probably didn't bother me as much because I came from an era where, quite often, you'd have to start an anime out of order because the place you got tapes from only had a random volume, or a sequel or a spin-off of the original was the only part that got licensed. But now that anime isn't as hard to get for just everyday folks, something like this sticks out like a sore thumb. At first, I felt like this OVA was kind of like a weird, dirty pair AU. That's short for alternate universe, for those who didn't know. Mew and Micah are a one's long-haired, one's short-haired duo who kick ass and take care of business in skimpy kind of outfits. They'd rather not listen to their boss and just have fun. In fact, there's a joke in the anime about how they can't change their code names because the lovely angels was already taken or something to that effect. So it does feel extremely tongue in cheek in that regard. But whereas Ki and Yuri of the Dirty Pair did fight with each other, they always did it in a way that seemed friendly and harmless and would never stay mad at each other for too long. Mew and Micah, however, are constantly fighting, and fighting in a way that feels a lot more vicious. Since they're both actually super-powered alien androids, when their fights turn physical with each other, they're way more harsh and destructive, on top of them seeming kind of apathetic and downright mean to each other. For example, they practically destroy a fast food restaurant when they get into a very heated argument over which one of them is fatter, which in itself is ridiculous as they're both conventionally attractive anime girls with the same skinny bodies. While some of their physical comedy is vaguely amusing, things like this scene make them hard to root for in this OVA. They're not nearly as charming or likable as the dirty pair or as well-written. It also doesn't help that for a series named after the heroines of the story, the OVA spends a lot more time on boring and hapless Akai and his school friends than you'd expect. It wouldn't be so bad if he was a more interesting character, or if his subplots were tied to the Hyperdolls in some way or another, but more often than not, they just feel like filler to pad out an already spread-thin story. The story seems to want you to relate to or to feel sorry for Akai for having to put up with Mew and Micah's shenanigans, but then the writers don't do a whole bunch to make him that much more likable either. 
While he does his best to force Mew and Micah into changing into the Hyperdolls when the monsters are attacking them or the city, more often than not, he's more preoccupied with trying to save money to upgrade his computer or, on occasion, just being a horny teenage boy and letting that get the best of him. Other than that, he doesn't have much of a personality at all. But that's not to say that this OVA is completely unwatchable. Even with the not-so-stellar characters, there's still some gags in this that are amusing in a silly slapstick sort of way. And the animation is actually pretty nice in this production more often than not. It's not as detailed and lavishly animated as some of the big bubble-era productions of the 80s, but the character designs are cute and stylish, the action sequences are dynamic and fun, the monsters are silly and obviously made to get a laugh, and overall the characters are drawn very expressively. The opening sequence is especially nice, with lots of wacky, over-exaggerated battling that almost make it feel like an animated pro-wrestling sequence. Which would make sense given the dirty pair joke, since Kei and Yuri themselves were highly influenced by Japanese women's pro wrestling. The Hyperdoll's transformation sequence is definitely influenced by Sailor Moon, though since this is an OVA that was most likely being targeted to guys, you get a healthy dose of boobs and butts in it, though they are beautifully animated. I mentioned it earlier, but in the original VHS release of this OVA, there's also live-action segments at the end of each OVA episode that feature the Japanese voice actors playing their anime counterparts, including dressing up in the Hyperdolls' costumes, though ones that are more reminiscent of their manga look, aka being less skimpy, and doing tokusatsu-style battles with giant rubber-suited monsters, after they take a break to do idol-style singing and dancing segments, of course. If you're not familiar with tokusatsu, like Super Sentai slash Power Ranger type shows or kaiju movies, it's gonna feel a little weird and out of place, but honestly, since there was already so much of that kind of stuff in the anime itself, I thought it was fun and cute. It made me wonder if at any point they were considering doing a live-action TV series based off of Hyperdolls, and this was sort of like a pilot or preview? Maybe a proof of concept? In Japan, these live-action parts seemed to be released separately on their own VHS and weren't originally bundled with the anime, which made me wonder how they got added to Pioneer's American release in the first place. Maybe the Japanese licensor thought we'd get more out of the two-episode OVA if we had more stuff to go with it? Because of this and how curious I was about how the original manga and this OVA were tied together, I decided to dig around and do a little research on it. Turns out, according to what I can understand of the Japanese Wikipedia, it seems that originally this OVA was part of a, quote, media mix for the series. Basically, they were trying to put out lots of things to get the Hyperdoll brand seen by as many people as possible, and to hype up, pardon the pun, the original manga. In fact, it sounds like they wanted to make more OVA episodes after these two, but the magazine that Hyperdoll's manga ran in folded, thus halting the manga. It seems like since then, he's tried to revive it with sequels like Hyperdoll HG and Hyperdoll 6, but it sounds like none of it really stuck. It probably also didn't help that the English release of the original manga, which was done by the now-defunct Studio Iron Cat, 
wasn't even a complete release here either. Only three volumes of the five were ever released, and they weren't exactly setting the world on fire in the sales department. I didn't even know there were manga sequels in Japan, probably because there isn't really much in the way of fandom for this title, so not really a lot of demand for information on it in English. I also found a quote from the Anime News Network under Trivia on the Hyperdolls manga page saying that, quote, The female space aliens in Hyperdolls were based on the Pinky Patch Girls, a pair of idol singers who fight evil characters in a 1982 Japanese TV show. Quote, I wanted to create an improved version of this, so I created Hyperdolls, said Ido, the original manga's creator. It just so happens that the outfits worn by Mika and Mew, the Hyperdolls, look just like the Pinkie Patch Girls outfits, which led me on a quest to find out more about these Pinkie Patch Girls. I looked all over and couldn't find anything referencing Pinkie Patch Girls, which confused me because I figured there had to be something about them somewhere. And so, after doing many searches with variations on the name in Japanese, I finally discovered that whoever translated that quote on Anime News Network had gotten it wrong. They were actually named the Pinky Punch Girls in Japanese and were on a comedy variety show called Pinky Punch Dai Gyakuten, which translates to something along the lines of Pinky Punch Great Reversal. Once I found the actual title, I immediately found a random episode of the variety show on YouTube, which indeed is very similar to the concept of Hyperdoll. Two cute young women who pose as ordinary school teachers in reality are aliens sent to Earth to fight alien monsters. They have outfits very similar to Hyperdoll's manga counterparts, which look a lot like 80s wrestling outfits, understandably since pro wrestling was starting to get really big at the time. Since it's billed as a variety show, it consists of a story with comedic bits, parts where the girls transform into their superhero personas and fight costumed monsters, and of course, breaks of performances of idol music with backup dancers to promote musical albums. I'll link the video I found in the show notes for those interested, as it really does explain where a lot of the initial inspiration from the series came from, and is a really neat little piece of Japanese pop culture that probably isn't very well known outside of Japan. Like, obviously there's the direct Dirty Pair comparison that even the anime itself jokes about, but it definitely seems to have more in common with these Pinkie Punch girls than the Lovely Angels. And I felt like I had to include this in the episode because it doesn't look like anyone's ever talked about or posted this connection in English before. Or at least, if anyone has, I'd never seen it. And I think that was also a huge influence on the media mix they did with the live-action segments they decided to do for the OVA. Considering they, too, have the musical performances inserted in between the comedy and fighting bits, it all makes sense. Heck, even the ending songs for the OVA are covers of 70s pop tunes. It was an interesting choice to do something like an early 80s variety show 
for a mid-90s anime, but maybe they thought it would be considered a fun throwback? I'd be curious to know how it was received at the time, but considering they stopped making them after only two episodes due to the manga stopping suddenly, maybe not as well as they hoped. But anyway, getting back to the actual anime, I actually never picked up the DVD when it came out here in America because A, I heard that the picture quality was never really improved for the DVD release, and B, for some reason, the DVD release omitted the live-action segments. Maybe they lost the license for them, or just decided that people probably wouldn't miss them? But I ended up watching the original VHS release for this review. While I watched it in Japanese, I actually looked up some clips of the dub version, since when I started my research for the episode, I noticed some familiar names in the dub, including a young Steve Bloom, Jonathan Fan, Julie Ann Taylor, Robert Martin Klein, Richard Cancino, and many other semi-well-known dub voice talents before they started getting bigger and better roles. I guess it doesn't help that almost every single one of these actors used a pseudonym for this title, so it was a little harder to piece together. But Steve Bloom was especially fun to hear, as he plays not only a mysterious underling to the evil Dr. Villain, but he also does a ridiculous, high-pitched gremlin sort of voice for the Hyperdoll's alien commander, which is a voice he'd probably never get hired for doing now that he's so well-known for his smooth, dulcet tones. And similarly, in the Japanese cast, many of the voice actors involved in this OVA started getting bigger and better roles either right after or around the time they recorded for this. For example, Mayumi Izuka, the voice of Mew, ended up as the voice of Kasumi, aka Misty, in the Pokemon anime, as well as Malerna in Escaflone, and Nanaka in Magic Users Club. Similarly, Yukana Nogami, the voice of Mika, went on to be the voice of Angel Lily in Wedding Peach, Yuzuriha in the X movie, and Meilin Lee in Cardcaptor Sakura. She's now much better known as simply Yukana, and does a ton of video game voice acting. Mitsuake Madono plays lead dull boy Akai, but is much better known as the voice of Serata in the X-movie and TV series, Maron in Sorcerer Hunters, and Pizza in Gaugaigar. The director of this OVA was Makoto Moriwaki, who also previously did storyboarding and directing on some episodes of Urusei Yatsura, Yawara, a fashionable judo girl, and Ebichu. These days, he's better known for directing Onigai My Melody and Welcome to Demon School Irumakun. The animation director and character designer for the OVA was Satoru Nakamura, who also worked as a key animator on Macross Plus, the X-Movie, and Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust, which might be why the character animation and action scenes look so good. His assistant animation director is no slouch either, as Fumio Matsumoto also worked as a key animator on Kimigure Orange Road, the Ranma 1 Half OVAs, 
and the Utena movie, just to name a few. The script was handled by Ryo Motohira, who also did scripts for Esper Mommy, Hallelujah 2 Boy, and a couple of the Crayon Shinchan movies. Music for the OVA was done by Takayuki Nagishi, who was also the main composer for the original Cardcaptor Sakura series, The Legend of Cristania, and two Lupin movies, Dead or Alive and The Secret of Twilight Gemini. Fun fact, this OVA was produced by Triangle Staff, the same studio that also was on the production committee for the 90s Trigun TV adaptation, both the first part of the original Trigun manga and the manga for Hyperdoll ran in the same magazine, Monthly Shonen Captain, before the magazine shuttered in 1997. I mentioned this before, but Pioneer Anime, who was later renamed Genion, originally released this OVA on VHS and Laserdisc in the 90s with a fairly bare-bones DVD release in the year 2000. As of this episode, the DVD is extremely out of print, with its price periodically fluctuating on the second-hand market. Right now, you can usually find used DVDs selling anywhere from $25 to $30, though as I mentioned, it's missing the live-action segments that were included in the American VHS release in the 90s. So, if you're a completionist, be on the lookout for those VHS on the second-hand market as well. Looking the title up on Amazon Japan, it doesn't even look like the OVA ever got a DVD release in Japan? I could be wrong, of course, but it looks like the only thing that pops up are the original VHS release and the Laserdiscs. This would explain the complaints for the old Pioneer DVD release looking just like a VHS rip, as I'm guessing that's probably what it was. But that means that the idea of a re-release here in the US is probably a lot slimmer, considering that there may not be a way to get a better looking video for it. Not to mention that I really don't think there are that many people clamoring for a re-release of it in the first place. Which brings me to the question of whether or not I would recommend this OVA. Well, as nice as the animation can be and how the idea of a variety show inspired throwback intrigues me, honestly, I don't think even its good points are really enough to save it. There just really isn't a likable character in the entire show. It might be different in the manga, but the way the hyperdolls are portrayed in the anime are mean-spirited and self-centered, and most of the side characters are either given bland, boring personalities, or aren't even on screen long enough to really let the viewers form any kind of opinion on them. I might rewatch the two episodes dubbed to hear all the young voice actors having fun recording this weird little OVA, but pair all that with the fact that it's barely even written coherently, and it's definitely not something I'd give much praise for. If you're a big tokusatsu or wrestling fan, you might enjoy some of the action and silly monsters and the occasional funny gag when they actually land, but overall, it's generally pretty forgettable. If you're looking for a fun anime with strong, cute girls fighting, I'd much rather recommend watching Project Aiko, the Dr. Slump movies, or heck, even any of the Cutie Honey releases. 
Hell, Yukana herself went on to voice Cure White in Pretty Cure, which is a way better cute fighting magical girl series, if you want something more substantial and less fanservice-y. The swimming and the festival parts of the OVA at least scratched my itch for one last summer-style anime viewing, but there's plenty of other anime out there that even does that better. So, in the long run, I think you're safe skipping this one. And that about wraps it up for this short review episode on Hyperdoll. Many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including Anna Lee and several people who wished to remain anonymous. I also wanted to take a moment to give a big thanks to many of you who also gifted me funds towards my cat's recent vet bill. If you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen me mention that my poor cat Corbin had to be taken to the vet recently, and while Corbin is doing much better now, we, of course, came home with an unexpected vet bill. So thanks to all of you who were extremely kind and generous to help us out with that. And of course, Corbin thanks you as well. <laughs> if you want to get a shout out on the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as all of they are, all you have to do is go to my coffee account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as at animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was done by Carobit. You can find more about them and their work by following them on Twitter at Carobit, that's K-E-R-O-B-I-T. As always, I have been your host, Don, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>